weeks, uh, we're, we're going to, every now and then my wife uh, cleans out the refrigerator. I don't know if you do that or not. And, and when we clean out the refrigerator, we eat a lot of leftovers. Sometimes I don't even know what it is. But, you know, I, I know what it used to be, but I don't know what it is this time around. But it's always good. And so, uh, you know, since we've got a lot of different things getting ready to hit, uh, I, I'm just going pr- to speak each Wednesday night from what I feel directed to bring to you uh, on single-serve evenings rather than a big, long series like we typically do. Uh, so tonight I'm going to need your help, though, because we're, we're going to talk about freedom tonight. I, I, I sat down with a pastor just a few days ago. And we were talking about our churches and the challenges that we face and the difficulties sometimes that pastors um, find, their, find themselves dancing around. And, and I shared with him, I said, I think one of the things that I, I, more than anything right now, that I would love to see is a real sense of freedom among the people of God. It, it just seems like that so many people are just bound up with this, that, and the other. If, if it's not physical, I'm, I'm bound up because, I mean, did you know that, that in America, one of the most advanced nations in the world, we, ha- we have higher percentages of disease uh, than, than many of the other nature, or nations of the world. Uh, we lead in heart disease, we lead in diabetes, we lead in cancer. Uh, Americans are just generally unhealthier than anyone in the world. And there's a lot of reasons for it. it it's dietary, it is, we, we live a sedentary lifestyle. We sit at desks all day long, many of us, at, and, and, and there's various reasons. But when these kinds of things begin to attack us and come against our bodies, it takes away <clears throat> that sense of freedom that we have. I mean, I can still remember what it was like to be young and be able to do anything I wanted to do whenever, whenever I wanted to do it. Uh, we just had to have a, a new dishwasher installed <laughs> in, in the parsonage. The old one, uh, for several months now, had just been leaking on the floor. I mean, every day. It's like I go in and... And, and before I can even have a cup of coffee, I got to, you know, clean up water and all that kind of stuff. So we just, we, we had a new one installed. And this young guy that came by to install it, he, he, had, he had it and he's getting ready to take the old one out. And I said, would you like to have some help? He said, no, just stand, stand back out of the way. And he reached down and he grabbed up that dishwasher by himself and just picked it up and just walked out the door and down the deck steps. And I'm thinking... Yeah, well, I used to be able to do that, too. Just want you to know that. And then when he was done with that, he picked up the new one and brought it in. And I I told Donna, I said, you remember when I used to could do that? And she looked at me and she said, you ain't never been able to do that. (laughs) But but there's this sense that, you know, we get older and, and while we're still virile and vital and all of that, we just can't do what we used to do. And, it, and if we're not careful, it can play tricks on our minds. And, and then so many people that are just discouraged. It, it's just, I, I can't believe in, in the church how often 
that we deal with marital issues and 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 children and grandchildren and 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 even spouses that are addicted to alcohol and drugs and and all these pornography at an all-time high and rather than walking in freedom we're walking in this sense of bondage and rather than expectation of the best blessings of God it's like oh you know now what's going to happen I, I just a couple of days ago I saw this news report that said you know they they're assuming that Hillary Clinton will be the Democratic nominee and that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee and they did this poll to ask Americans if they were satisfied with them and it was like 60 some odd percent of Americans said I don't want either one of them I just you know I don't really want either one of them and I'm thinking to myself that 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 just seems to permeate our nation and and even in the church the 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 research and the statistics show that there's very little difference in the day-to-day lifestyles of people who claim to be Christians from those who are in the world very little difference Christians pray very not not much more than non-Christians do they read scripture at, 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 a, at a lesser rate today than ever before. We're told by researchers that we live in the most ignorant day that has ever existed when it comes to Scripture. Now, I'm not calling us stupid or anything of that nature. Ignorance is just a lack of knowledge. How I many of you know we can't get knowledge in unless we're reading it, unless we're consuming it? And that's the reason this year I've, I've made up my mind. I don't know if you'll use these tools or not, but I've made up my mind that as a pastor, I'm going to put as much before you as I can possibly get before you. We, we've got a devotional book for the men's group. I hope you're reading it. I've been reading mine. I, we, we have, um, uh, we have a, a program of scriptural study on a daily basis where you can go to the church app and just dial it in. Read your scripture, punch it off, and, and just, you know, it. I don't read scripture that way often because I do a, a, a deeper study of scripture, but just for the sake of discipline, it's a good thing to do. And, and now this daily devotion that we're trying to get before you on Facebook and through your email, and I hope you're reading things like that because it's not that I'm just trying to get my name splashed all over the website in different places, but I'm trying to get things before you that you can say, well, this won't take me very long to read and it will inspire you and get the word of God in you. That's my job. And it's not enough for me just to preach to you on Sunday morning and teach on Wednesday night. I feel like I have a responsibility to get it to you as quickly and, and as consistently as I can. So we have this whole sense of being in bondage or being less than what we could be if, if we would really find our way to freedom. And, and so tonight I want us to talk about that for just a little bit. I want somebody, if you would, get your Bibles and help me tonight. I want somebody to get Romans chapter 8, verse 21. Who will get that for me? Here we go. It's like, 
It's like getting people to play the lottery. Who's going to be first? There you go, right back there. Romans 8, 21. Who would get John chapter 8, verse 36? It's in the New Testament. Who would do that? All right, Hoyt, you've got that one. Okay, good deal. That'll do it for now. Now, I want to read to you from John chapter 8, but I'm going to read verses 31 and 32. He's going to read chapter, verse 36 in just a moment. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says this. If, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall bind you up. Oh, what? Did I misread that? Are you sure? Well, let me look again. And the tr- oh, the truth shall make you free. Oh, I think I think I've got it now. So now, where where does freedom come from? Freedom comes from the Word of God, because it says, "If you abide in my what does abide mean? It means stay there, stay in it." Don't step in and then step back out, but stay in it. Abide in my word. Listen, I get it. If you're still working and if you're busy people, you can't just constantly be reading the word all day long. But you know what? If you, if you discipline yourself enough to read the word, it will get in you. To such a degree. I noticed myself just today. I I was in the car a good bit today. Actually, I was in the truck today because my wife informed me she needed the Honda. I said, I need to go a few places too. And she said, that's why you have a truck. Go get in it and go. (laughs) And so I I was in the truck. And and I'm praying as I'm going. I don't have the radio on. I I I don't have anything. I'm praying. And I'm just noticing how much scripture is coming out of my mouth. I mean, I'm not praying this, oh, God, oh, please, if you'll just help me. I mean, I'm thinking about the situation, and I'm starting to quote what God already knows and what God has already committed to. I'm not quoting it for his knowledge and for his sake. I'm quoting it because every time it comes out of my mouth, my spirit starts building up, and I start to, man, I'm the, the word of faith is in me, even in my mouth. That if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who has Romans chapter 8, verse 21? Go ahead and read that, if you will. Okay, will you read it one more time as loud as you can? I know what it says. Okay, into what? Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Uh, Man, that sounds like a level of freedom that is more than what we experience oftentimes. Uh, It says the glorious liberty 
of the children of God. That is freedom. When God made us, his purpose for us was freedom. So that we could be free from the curse of the law, free from sin, free from the effects of this world, so that we could walk in a glorious liberty. Oh, not, not, not just partial victory, not a little bit, but a glorious victory. Read John chapter 8, verse 36, if you will. Now, I wonder why the writer puts that last word on there. What is the last word? Indeed. It doesn't just say if the son makes you free, you shall be free. It says you shall be free indeed. Supersized. Because I was on the road so much today, I hate to admit it, but I had to, I had to hit a drive through I was in a hurry. Now, I've been, I've been real good about drive-thrus. I, I don't do them very often, but today was just one of those days I just had to go through there. And I go through, I tell them what I want, I make the wisest choice that I can make in a drive-thru, and then they had the audacity to ask me if I wanted to supersize it. So would you like for us to supersize that for you? I said, no, I don't want you to supersize that for me, but thank you for asking, but you can give me a medium if you don't mind. <laughs> but what he's saying here is, is that when, when God sets you free, when Jesus Christ sets you free, you are not free just a little bit. You are free supersized. You are free to the maximum. You get the max for the minimum at TJ Maxx. Isn't that right? Isn't that what the old song says? The old jingle? You get the max. You never heard that, really? Oh, my goodness. You guys haven't lived. My wife lives at TJ Maxx. So here's how we're going to define freedom for the next few minutes. Freedom is a life that is controlled by truth, is motivated by love, and produces maturity. That's, that's how we're going to talk about it tonight. Freedom is life controlled by truth. It is motivated by love. And it produces maturity. So let's talk about this first thing. Freedom is life then. How many of you know that you only have two options? You're either alive or you're dead. I see, let me see how many hands of people that are dead tonight. Can I see your hands? You mean to tell me we don't have one dead person in the house tonight? Well, praise God. But, but here's the deal. He's not talking about our physical bodies. He's talking about spirituality, the scripture is. So we know from, sin, from scripture that unsaved people are dead in their trespasses and in sin. That's in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, if you want to write that down. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 and Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 tells us that unsaved people may be religious, but God calls their religion dead works. In other words, they're busy. 
They're doing religious stuff. They're doing it consistently. But because they are not in relationship with Jesus Christ, their works don't count for anything. They're not producing fruit. They're not producing life because we're dead in our sins. So there is no life. John chapter 11, verse 44, after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, loose him and let him go. Now the context here, you could, you could add a word here without doing any disjustice to the word of God. Jesus was saying, loose him and let him go free. Nothing to bind him. No grave cause. No, no, nothing binding him in any other way. When he experiences this life, he gets up and he moves as a, a person with life should move. It's like the little 12-year-old girl that died, the, the girl, the, the daughter of Jairus, and Jesus goes down, and I, I, you know, I could just preach all day long on this. First thing he does is get rid of all the doubters, just get out of here. I just can't, I just can't do my best work in the, in, in the midst of doubting people. Just move on out. Everybody outside of their mourning, they had professional mourners out there. They were doing their job well. And Jesus just said, every one of you just go away. And he didn't have a Jericho march. He didn't take up an offering. I mean, he didn't have a telethon. He didn't say, if you'll give $50, you'll get 52 blessings. And then, you know, he didn't. He just walked over to the little girl and he just said, Talitha, Kumai. That was it. I mean, <laughs> that's it. And you know what she did? She sat up, and the scripture says she began to walk like a 12-year-old would typically walk. Well, how old was she? 12. Duh. It'd been one thing if she is 36 and walking like a 12-year-old. But what it's saying there is, is that when Jesus set her free with words of healing. She was free indeed. She wasn't a little bit free. She was all the way free. I don't know how you feel about it, but I want to see that kind of move of God's spirit in my life and in the life of our church. I want us to be free. I want to be free. I want to have life in my body. John chapter 3 Verse 36 says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Uh, I, I saw this statement. I like this a lot. See how this hits you. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but it's master. Think about that. Let me say it again. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Now, what does that mean? If you want to be a great athlete, you've got to commit yourself to practicing whatever it is that you're wanting to do. If you're wanting to be a runner, guess what? You got to run. You got to practice. 
you got to submit yourself to coaches who will show you how to do that properly. If you want to play basketball, you got to let somebody show you something and teach you something that will help you be, be as effective as you can possibly be in what it is you're trying to accomplish. Musicians, how many of you know they don't just go over and walk over and pick up an instrument and start playing it? I've heard those stories all my life. I have one word for it, baloney. I've, I've never known anyone who could do that unless God just supernaturally anointed. I've heard all the stories. But listen, musicians have to practice. They have to decide what instrument it is I'm going to play, and then they've got to do something to learn how to play it. Now, there are people who have natural tendencies. It comes easier for some people, but they have to commit themselves to a process of practice that will let them be the master of the instrument. So we have to find the proper master of what it is that we're trying to accomplish so that we can then, in submitting ourselves to that process, we can get everything in our lives that we need to have. I just had this conversation with my wife the other day. And she, she, said, she said, why are you so tired lately? She said, it seems like every time I turn around, you're tired. I said, I have been tired. I said, but I got up one night at 8.30. I said, I'm, I'm going to bed. I said, I love you. I don't care a thing in the world about what's on the TV. Uh, we don't have cable, so we have to watch whatever comes over the antenna. And I said, there's nothing on there. I said, and I'm exhausted. I'm going to bed at 8.30. And I, I, I just had been tired. And I told her, I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm tired. And then it dawned on me, well, you dummy, it's your fault that you're tired. She, because I, I haven't been eating right. I, I've, I've been just eating what I want to eat when I want to eat it. The other night before I went to bed, I got me a big old bowl of cereal. And then I sprinkled cinnamon on the top because cinnamon's supposed to help you with your blood sugar. And so I put cinnamon on the top. And I put blueberries on the top because blueberries are supposed to be good for that kind of thing as well. But it wasn't the blueberries that was doing the bad, and it wasn't the cinnamon that was doing the bad. It was all of that carb in the form of cereal in the bottom of the bowl and then milk on top of it. And pouring it into my body and then going to bed and sleeping on it all night. And I, I said to myself, self, you're an idiot. You know better than that, and you know what you need to do in order to feel better than you feel. I can't remember the last time I went and walked in our beautiful park. I got, I've always got an excuse. I'm too tired. It's too hot. You know, I might get the Zika virus if I go out there. I, I can't go out there. There's mosquitoes out there. I better not do that. And I told my wife, I said, I just need to get my sneakers back out and put them on my feet and get my hind end up off the backside and I need to go out there and walk and I need to eat different and I need to eat protein instead of carbohydrates and I, I know how do I know that because I spent three days listening to a nutritionist drone on and on and on and on about portion sizes and what to eat and what not to eat and when to eat it and the timing of it and how it affects your body. And I decided that I would just set all that aside for a while and just do what I wanted to do. My own form of freedom. But you know what? 
there is such a thing as false freedom that will bring difficulty into our lives. Oh, we're free. We can do whatever we want to do anytime we want to do it. But that kind of freedom will bring bad fruit into our lives rather than doing what we know is right, which brings me to the next point. It's, freedom is not, not only does it produce life, but freedom is life that is controlled by truth. Somebody get John chapter 14, verse 6. Who will get it? Anybody? Hands should be waving all over. Yeah, right back there. John 14, verse 6. Dorothy, you get 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. Somebody get John 17, 17. Who would do that? All right, Mildred, you got it. And then 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Sharon, can you do that? 1 Timothy 3, 15. Oh, I need somebody to get 2 John chapter 4. Uh, 2 John verse 4. 2 John verse 4. One more hand going up. Second John verse 4. Okay, you got it. Miss Gillenwater, you got it. You got it. Now here's what we're going to discover. We're going to discover that truth comes to us from various sources. From various sources. First of all, John chapter 14, verse 6. Who has that? Go ahead. Read it as loud as you can, please. Okay, the point here is, Jesus said to him, I am the, what? And the, okay, truth. So then the first thing that we need to understand is, is that if I observe the life of Jesus Christ and the history of Jesus Christ, you know what's going to come to me? Truth. Because there was no falsehood in him whatsoever. Everything he taught, everything he spoke, everything he did, everything that he was, was truth. So Jesus comes from truth. If you don't know the answer, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus think? How would Jesus react? If Jesus were here dealing with what I'm dealing with, how would he deal with it? You say, well, yeah, but he was Jesus. Yeah, but he left and he sent his spirit to live in you so that you could do greater works than he did because he goes to the Father to make intercession for you. You have the ability to overcome. If Jesus could, you can. I'm not trying to deify you, but I am trying to get you to see that there is great power and authority that is in you through Jesus Christ. Now, who has 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6? Read it. Oh my goodness, he is? 
The Spirit is what? Truth. truth. So if Jesus is truth and the Holy Spirit is truth, then they must be connected in some way. Right? Well, of course they are. Because that's the reason Jesus said, it's better for me that I go away. Because if I go, the Father will send another one who's just exactly like me. But he just won't be in the neighborhood. He'll be in you. So truth comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, who has John 17, 17? Go ahead, Mildred. Read that for us, if you will. That's fine. Your word is what? Really? Honest to goodness? The word of God is true. Every, every word of it is true. Now, I will admit to you, there are times that we look at the word of God and we say, well, I'm just not sure how I can believe that. I'm not sure how, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to process that. But you know what? When there's something in me, in my mind, that can't process the word of God, then I just simply have to ask the Holy Spirit to teach me all things. Lord, you said in your word, you'd teach me all things. Now, I'm looking at something that I don't have a clear understanding of. And I, my pastor hasn't said anything about it. My Sunday school teacher hasn't said anything about it. My spouse hasn't said anything about it. I need to know what this means. And so, Lord, I'm going to commit myself to listen with my spiritual ears so that you can teach me the truth. The word is truth. You say, well, what happens when Scripture conflicts with Scripture? Then you have to study it, and you have to determine why it says one thing here and why it says another thing here. And once you get it into the context and the history and the knowledge of that situation, you'll be able to understand why it says one thing here and it says something that seems like it is absolutely opposed to it over here. It's because the context is different. But we just want to pick and choose. Well, here, here's one. Oh, that rhymes a little bit. I like that. I could, I could put that on Facebook and people would, they'd like that all day long. But if we don't get the context of it, if we don't get what God was trying to say, I, I, yesterday's devotional, I, I wrote about one stone, one, one day, and one choice was the name of it. And used the scripture in Psalms where it talks about how that he is the chief cornerstone. He is the cornerstone that the builders rejected. And I talked about how that it's important for us to get the understanding and the meaning of what they are saying in that passage of Scripture. And that Scripture closes with this. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But it closes the portion of the Scripture that says he is the cornerstone. And this was done by the hand of God, and to us it is marvelous. And then it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Well, now, we can say rightfully that every day is the day that the Lord has made. We can rejoice in every day. That's the application of that scripture. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
Because this day is the day that God made for us to rejoice and be glad in it. But when that passage of scripture was written, the psalmist was saying, the day that I'm referring to is the day when God the Father established Jesus Christ the Son as the stone that the builders rejected. And when God said, I don't care if Israel rejects you, and I don't care if the world rejects you, I don't care if everybody rejects you, the truth is, I have selected you to be the cornerstone, not just the cornerstone, Stone, but the chief cornerstone on this day. And so on this day, when I made the declaration, you can rejoice and be glad in it. You see, context makes all the difference in the world. And it help us, helps us to understand truth. And so now I can say, I don't have to worry about whether or not Jesus was rejected. It really doesn't matter a hill of beans to me because he wasn't rejected by God the Father. The builders may have rejected him and Israel may have rejected him and everyone else may have rejected him and everybody in my family may have rejected him. But my Father in heaven determined that he is the cornerstone and if God has declared him to be the cornerstone, then you better believe I'm going to agree with God the Father and start rejoicing this very day for what God did for me through his son Jesus Christ. And when I start thinking about that, then faith begins to rise in me. Strength begins to rise in me. When people get in my face and say, you're nuts for being a Christian, you can say, well, you're welcome to your opinion, but I know what I know. And what I know is true. And you may not ever accept him as Lord on this earth. You may never proclaim him that way, but there is coming a day. I know there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How do it? Because God the Father established it from the foundations of the earth. He was determined to be the lamb that was slain from the very beginning. And all of this is told us in, in the Word of God. Not in the New York Times. Not in the Courier Journal. Not on Facebook. Not on Twitter. But in the, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand up on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. My dad would get up and he'd start plucking that guitar and he'd say, I'm using my Bible for a road map. Did you ever hear that one? Yeah. <laughs> Pastor, no, he's shaking his head back. Yeah, I've heard that one. Who has 2 John chapter 4? I mean, excuse me, verse 4. Go ahead. Amen. Some of your children. Say, read it again. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living in the truth. And yeah. Just as we have been commanded by the Father. Amen. Who has who has First Timothy three fifteen? Now it goes along with what you're reading. Go ahead. Is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. 
Christ. Amen. The pillar and the ground of the church or, or the truth is found in the fellowship of the saints. When we get together, we ought to be able to draw strength from one another because the truth, the truth is flowing in and out of us. The truth. I'm not telling you lies. I tell you all the time. You need to check what I'm telling you in the word of God. Don't, don't, don't just listen and say, oh, amen, praise God, glory, hallelujah, that was good. Run the references. Go back and say, oh, man, what pastor said was good. I never thought of that before, but there's got to be more to that than just, well, I need to hear the rest of that. I need to know the rest of the story. Yeah, you know, let, let the, the body of Christ run it by one another and say, I've been reading this passage of Scripture and I just can't quite get my head wrapped around that. What does it mean to you? What do you think about that? I do this with, pa- with pastor friends of mine all the time. I call, I'm, I've called professors at the seminary and said, I'm, I'm, i got to preach this and I'm not sure that I have a clear understanding of what it means. Dr. So-and-so, would you please give me your opinion on it? Well, yes, I'd be more than happy to do that, Pastor Baker. <laughs> well, sure, because I, I, within myself, am not a fountain of knowledge. But when I interact with the people of God and the church, then it, it describes it as a fountain of truth. The pillar and the ground of truth. Now listen, God's truth will not, and I got to quit. It's uh, 7.59. God's truth will, and and I'm going to, we'll carry this on next week. God's truth will not just inform us, but it will transform us. So that we become more and more like Christ. It won't just inform you, but it, it ought to be changing you. Uh, how many of you have seen in the news this week about Hillsong uh, New York City Church? Anybody seen the, the stuff that's going on up there that, that they're trying to get their head wrapped around what happened? But apparently, uh, uh, because they're in New York, they were doing this youth service there, and, and they, were, um, they were trying to... Uh, inform people of some of the various celebrities in New York. And have you ever heard of the Naked Cowboy? Anybody ever heard of the Naked Cow- Cowboy? And how many of you have ever watched the Naked Cowboy? You've gone and seen. Well, it, it, it's this guy that walks up and down the streets of New York in certain areas, and and he has nothing on but briefs and 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 cowboy boots. And I, and I, I've never seen him. To the best of my knowledge, that's a, and a cowboy hat. Thank you. Cowboy hat, briefs, and cowboy boots, and he plays the guitar. Leaving the impression that he's naked. And tourists come from all over the world to see the naked cowboy. Well, in their youth service, they had somebody dress up like all of these different celebrities in New York, including the naked cowboy. And so on the stage of the church, the naked cowboy comes out and all the women of the church start going, woo, 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 standing up in their chairs and they're, woo, woo, woo. And we're talking about church now. We're talking about in church now. 
It's one of the fastest growing churches in the world today. Which leaves a lot of traditionalists like me saying, I have a hard time picturing Jesus. Saying, why don't we invite the naked cowboy to come preach this next week? I bet if we did, I bet we'd have a church pool next week. I bet we would. But here's the point I'm trying to make. God didn't call us to build the church. He called us to build people. And, and when we turn to methods that will promote church growth over holiness, we're, we're never going to get God's blessings on that. God, God will not bless. I mean, he says in his word that if we lust after someone, it, it says if a man lusts after a woman in his heart, it's as though he has already committed uh, adultery worth it with her. But you can also say that for a woman with a man. And when you're creating an environment where women in the church are standing up on their chairs and hooped a duping because the naked cowboy's up there, I think we got a problem. And I think we have a problem because we have ceased to build people. We've stopped building people with the scripture and we started using methods to build the church because it's all about getting the seats full. Well, let me tell you, if I have to invite the naked cowboy to come here to fill all these seats, then these seats ain't never going to be full. It's just not going to happen. So the truth, the truth. Father, thank you for the truth. The truth does set us free, Lord. We know that. We understand it. We've experienced it, and as we continue to study this uh, the, tonight and, and then next week, I pray that you'll reveal these scriptural truths to us so that we can grow and become the mature people of God that you've called us to be. We ask it in Jesus' lovely name, amen and amen.